This is Songwriter, the podcast of stories and answer songs. The story in today's episode is so intense and surprising that I wanted to give two songwriters the chance to write a response to it. As you'll hear, they approach the same emotional raw material in very different ways. But first, the story. Live at Booney Cafe in the Washington Heights neighborhood of Manhattan, here's Joyce Carol Oates reading A Brutal Murder in a Public Place. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Well, I'm very happy to be here, and I'm reading a short story that's based upon something that really happened to a degree. There's a certain uh, point at which it, be, it turns into something else. <clears throat> a brutal murder in a public place. At gate C-33 of Newark International Airport, in a waiting area of seats facing curved glass windows and a heavily occluded sky beyond the windows, a sudden frantic chirping. Everyone looks around, upward. The frantic chirping continues. The bird, if it's a bird, is hidden from view. A bird? Is, is that a bird? Here? How? Here? In these rows of seats, strangers, directly in front of the curved glass windows facing the runway outside, and the overcast New Jersey sky are three sections of seats of 10 each, each, just 10 seats each, with six plate glass windows facing each section of seats, and all 18 windows. On the other side of the walkway, which is not wide, no more than a few yards, are rows of seats arranged in the usual utilitarian way back to back and across the narrow aisle facing one another. Barely there is room for people to make their way through this narrow aisle pulling suitcases. You might guess 15 seats in each row, 10 such rows of seats at gates 33. This place of utter anonymity, impersonality, this place of randomness, emptiness. And suddenly the tiny bird chirping an improbable and heart-rending little musical trill like an old-fashioned music box. A sound to make you glance upward, smiling, in expectance of seeing what? At the ceiling above the closest row of seats facing the window, there appears to be a ledge of some kind, probably containing air vents. From my seat about 15 feet from the outer row of seats by the window, I'm I'm not able to see the front of the ledge. And very likely the trapped little bird, if it's a bird, it must be trapped in this place. And if it is between the ledge and the ceiling, it must be little, is perched there. The seated travelers continue to look around, quizzical and bemused. A white-haired woman in a wheelchair, a contingent of soldiers, mostly young. All squint upward, frowning at the birds, as if the birds chirping might be a warning or an alarm. How is it possible a bird in here? Though the chirping is fairly loud, rapid fire, and somewhere close by, yet no one has sighted the bird. A lanky young man with a backpack stands to squint toward the ceiling with the air of an alert bird watcher, but the bird remains invisible. Another possible place I see now in which the little bird might be hidden is in the leaves of a stunted little tree near the windows. This is a melancholy tree of no discernible species in a plastic pot meant to resemble a clay pot. At first you assume that the tree must be artificial, then you look more closely. You see to your surprise that the stunted little tree is a living thing. 
The tree is a well-intentioned decorative touch in Newark International Airport, intended to soften the harsh utilitarian anonymity of the place and the horror of randomness of strangers gathered together to no purpose other than to depart from one another as swiftly as possible. But the little tree has not fared well in this mostly fluorescent lit environment. Coats out of a seed, nurtured into life, it is now a thing scarcely living. Still the little bird might yet be hidden among the leaves. I've noticed another tree of the same indistinct species in the same plastic pot about 30 feet away, very likely at other gates in the terminal. In all the terminals of the airport, there are other trees similarly patterned of a near identical type, hidden condition. Their once glossy green leaves grown shabby and desiccated. You can tell that these trees are not artificial because they are shabby and desiccated. The artificial endures, living wears out. Invisibly, almost teasingly, the tiny chirping continues. The chirping is drowned out by an announcement, a particularly shrill-voiced woman, and when the announcement ends, the chirping has ceased. Everyone has turned back to their preoccupations of a moment before, conversations, laptops, and books. The high-perched high TV news of far-flung and domestic tragedies that never ceases whether anyone is watching or not. Even the soldiers who appear vigilant a moment before have turned away. Am I the only traveler thinking the little bird is still here somewhere that could not have flown away without our seeing? Stubbornly, I listen for the little bird, scarcely daring to breathe, I listen, as if its tiny heartbeat had aligned itself with my heartbeat, and acutely it is aware of me as I am aware of it. A living thing, somewhere close by, invisible. How loud and intrusive are the announcements, flights boarding, flights departing, flights delays. How grating the human voice. For it seems that at gate 33, an incoming flight has been delayed and an outgoing flight has been delayed. But at last, a few minutes later, the frantic little, ch little chirping resumes with greater urgency. I am on my feet, restless and alert. Where I'd been annoyed and mildly anxious that my flight had been delayed 40 minutes, Yet I am more intrigued by the mysterious little bird that has drawn my attention. I know you're advised not to leave your luggage unattended in this public place, but I intend only to walk to stretch my legs for a short distance. Unlike the others who've turned their attentions away from the mysterious chirping, I've consumed, I've consumed with curiosity about the little bird in our midst, who is not only hypothetical but invisible. For the fact remains that there is a bird here at gate 33 of Newark International Airport. It's probable that the bird entered the terminal through an open door in this area when passengers boarded one another of the smaller propeller planes. At such times, passengers are not shunted directly onto the plane through a covered chute, but are required to walk across the pavement to steep, steadily metal steps ascending to the prop plane that, when entered, exudes the cramped, airless, and claustrophobic air of a straining intestine. And yet, think of the odds against this, a luckless bird blown by the wind, unable to prevent itself from being sucked into the terminal through the open door. Now there's a sudden blur of wings, small wings. My vigilance has paid off since I'm almost directly below the bird. It was hidden as I'd surmised between the ledge and the ceiling. It's a small sparrow. 
beating its wings madly, careening in the air, striking the rows of plate glass windows looking out into the runway, making its way dazed and confused into a high, windowless corner of the waiting room. By this time, everyone has glanced up again and several people smile. Why does the panic fluttering of a small bird trapped in such a place provoke people to smile? After a few minutes of wing beating, chirping, blundering along the row of windows, the little bird, it's a beautifully patterned sparrow, has positioned itself back on the ledge, but near the edge where it's visible. I have followed it here in this relatively quiet space near the unmanned, unlighted gate C-34. Beyond the window, there's an empty runway and close by another stunted little potted tree. Poor little bird, how did it get into this terrible place? And what can I do to help it? Gazing up at the tiny damp eyes, a tiny beak moving soundlessly as if its terror has made it mute, my heart begins to beat rapidly and my wings, wings. Suddenly I realize what is sprouting from my shoulders. Now I see a fattish woman standing about 12 feet below me and peering up quizzical and curious rather than concerned. I am crying, oh, please help me. I am one of you. I don't know what this terrible thing is that has happened to me, but I am a living thing. I am one of you. Unable to stop the agitation of my wings, I am flying in terror, striking the ugly, unyielding ceiling, ricocheting against the windows and the ledge. There is a ventilator humming within, a ghastly, grinding sound. In the midst of my terror, another woman comes to observe, eating an apple. So acute is my eyesight, I can see saliva gleaming in this woman's lips, and her eyes a reflection of mild concern. So very mild, it's like a flickering candle seen at a distance. Beyond this woman are rows of seats of which most are occupied. There are U.S. soldiers in bizarre jungle uniforms. Some glance up frowning or smiling, faint distracted smiles. A few have seen me or the blurred beating of wings that I have become. Help me, I want to go home. I don't belong here. I live in but my tiny, trilling voice can't accommodate multisyllabic words. I am one of you. I am a living creature. Help me out of this terrible place. I was a traveler like you, a human being like you. My flight to Chicago was delayed for 40 minutes, and then for another 40 minutes. And then somehow this has happened, this to which I can give no name, this curse, Please hear me, please help me. I have done nothing to deserve this punishment. I am innocent. I cannot even remember my sins, my crimes. I may have believed that I was an extraordinary individual, but the fact is I was utterly ordinary. I am utterly ordinary. I am blameless. It's a terrible injustice that I have been singled out like this. Please, you must help me. Don't just smile inanely at me or look away bored. Help me. It's a mistake that I've trapped you against the plate glass windows, flinging myself against plate glass windows, so yearning to escape into the open air to freedom. My tiny heart is near to bursting. Take me to my home. When they see me, they will recognize me. There are those who love me. They will know who I am. I must consume food at once. I'm starving. My little sparrow wings, my tiny organs, my heart, my teaspoon of blood, must be nourished. I am so very cold, I am shivering convulsively. If I don't consume food just to feel crumbs, 
Please, just a few crumbs. I will begin to die within a few minutes. My organs will begin to shut down. My panicking, darting eyes will begin to close over and my vision will be occluded. My wings, which I had believed would beat forever, will slow. Not one of you is starving. Not one of you is beginning to shut down and die. You have no right to smile at the suffering of a bird in the final minutes of its life. You have no right to ignore me, for I'm a very beautiful white-crowned sparrow with elaborately patterned wings of white, brown, black, and rust-colored curved feathers. I am more beautiful than any of you crude, wingless, earthbound creatures. I am as deserving of life as you, more deserving than you. I deserve better than this nightmare curse, a random death among strangers. Except, am I going to be rescued? Has someone called for help and help has come? Eagerly, my eyes take an unexpected sight below. Two men in work uniforms, quick striding, efficient, and seemingly well-practiced, are approaching at last. One has a stepladder and a small net with a three-foot handle, the other a wicked-looking broom. Joyce Carol Oates with her story, A Brutal Murder in a Public Place. And now for the first song written in response by one of the world's great banjo players and a man who's done a million interviews, but somehow has never been asked how he thinks of himself. How I think of myself? Yeah. What kind of a question is that? Hello, this is Tony Trishka. I guess most importantly, I'm a husband and a father. Uh, And I'm a teacher. I teach at the Berklee College of Music, and I've got an online banjo school, and I've written 15 banjo instruction books. Tony has known Joyce Carol Oates far longer than I have. He met her at a party at Steve Martin's house, which is what brought him to a performance that she and I had done earlier at WNYC's Green Space. We found out she was doing this thing that you do with her, which is so wonderful, uh, at the Green Space. That's my memory of it. And that's how I got to meet you. And uh, so that's how, how that all connected because, I mean, she's so amazing, obviously. Uh, I thought it was an amazing story. It's just a wonderful story. Uh, you know, like the twist, you know, towards the end. Where, oh, wow. I mean, it was just so well written and uh, unexpected. I really like the chance to write something, to have this opportunity thrown into my lap. I read it through a couple of times, maybe three times, and then I just started writing, not rhyming anything, but just phrases. I wasn't so worried about it all rhyming because I liked the phrases I had, but over time, I had some internal rhymes and, and, and some rhymes that, you know, would kind of fit as you would expect. I'm in the project writing music for some Emily Dickinson poems, and it's so great. You get along, and then the last line doesn't rhyme with where it should. It's just a, it's some other word that doesn't rhyme at all. The music was very stream of consciousness. Uh, there was no plan to it. Okay, it's kind of a, a in a way, sort of a dark story, and uh, maybe I should write in a minor key. But I, I don't believe in that necessarily. Okay, it's it's sad. Okay, I'll write in a minor key. Well, first it was. Kind of, I mean, it turns out to be the same tempo, but approaching it like that, leaving some little bit of space as opposed to the banjo playing, got to fill every 
single space to the ceiling. And then this, which I've never heard before in music anywhere. This, no one has ever done that before. So uh, I thought, well, that's what's coming out. It's so hackneyed in a way, but that's what came out. So I guess I'll just stick with it. Once I started rolling it, these are called rolls, banjo rolls. I'm gonna do that. I kind of took it away from that. So I wanted to change it up from this to to that. So just to give it a little more variety. Well, I think I messed with it a little bit, and it just felt like this is what it wants to be. You know what it's like. It's, I do. You, you can't struggle with the tune too much. It's going to be what it tells you it's going to be. I brought in a ringer, uh, Tracy Bonham, who's like an amazing, amazing singer. When you asked me to do this, and I thought, well, I'm not going to sing this, so let me ask Tracy, and, and she was free, so she's going to do it. I asked Tony if he was nervous at all, playing a brand new song that he had never practiced live with Tracy in front of Joyce Carol Oates. He laughed. It's one song. I think we can get through one song. And, so, uh, and, we, and we did it over the phone. <laughs> over speakerphone. That's how we rehearsed it. This is Tony Trishka and Tracy Bonham performing his song, Little Sparrow, live in New York City. From your hidden perch, you urge those below you to look up and see your plight. These windows or walls, the sky calls in the day. Your wings are a blur, not nearly as sure as those on that seven.
And now for a very different approach to the song by an old friend of mine. I'm Jennifer Marks, and I am a singer-songwriter and a mom. My first reaction to Joyce's story was I, I wanted it to end differently. It's like, no, no, come on. I've, you know, been with my children and been like, and the kids, oh no, the poor little bird, it's trapped, you know, and I'm like, hey, it found a way in, it's going to find a way out, don't worry about it. And I just never really thought that actually maybe that bird won't get out. Well, I guess I I kept feeling that sense of being trapped, you know, as I was thinking about what, how do I want to express this in song? this level of just anxiety and frustration and and I wanted to sort of capture that. We've all been trapped in something and I've been stuck in relationships. I've been stuck in business relationships. I've been stuck in, um, you don't know what I mean. Of course you don't know what I mean. Uh, you and I both were uh, in a situation that was very difficult to navigate. There was a lot of anxiety. There was almost, I would almost call it abuse. And it sounds really dramatic when I say that. I don't feel fear. I just feel like I don't want to whine. I made choices even when I knew in my heart of hearts, it was clear as day. You know, we were signed to this label with this guy who was bigger than life in a lot of ways and it was charming it was disarming and at the same time there was this carrot that was put out in front of us that said hey I'm gonna give you a huge career I'm gonna give you whatever you want you're a a young artist who wants that so why would I not follow you somewhere right and then once I followed Once I followed this guy, I realized how much trouble I was in. The exact moment was when I realized that my bandmates were not being taken care of the way they should have been taken care of. I cracked. And I was like, no, mm -mm, this is where I no longer want to be a part of this at all. I don't care what it brings me. I just know what it's taking away from me now. Jen was on tour with Cindy Lauper, playing for thousands of people every night, but her band was being paid $200 a week. They were being paid $200 a week, but they weren't being paid. Artists should be paid, musicians should be valued, art should be valued, we should be paid. Songwriters should be paid. This is a really big problem. It's been a really big problem for a really long time. No matter what we do as artists, there's always that sense of, we don't have the power. Jen and I both left the label in 2005. The show with Joyce Carol Oates was the first time she'd performed on stage in 15 years. It was super fun. I was not expecting it to be as fun as it was. I really... It's been such a long time since I've been on stage or, you know, had any desire to do anything for myself musically. And it was a a really nice challenge. Um, And, I mean, Steve Martin came up to me afterwards. (laughs) That was really cool. You know, 
Well, he asked me if it was true that I had I had not been on stage for 15 years, and I said yes. And now, here's a studio recording of Jennifer Mark's song, Turning Back. I look straight into your eyes, you see I'm trembling inside, I'm all caught up in this place. Been putting up a good fight, hanging on for dear life, I need your help to escape. Won't you please set me free? Look out there, the sky is clear. Let's fly somewhere far from here. Cause if we stay, we'll both get trapped. And there's no turning back. There's no turning back, no look out there, the sky is blue. I know you want out of here too, and if we stay, we've got to face the fact. There's no turning back, there's no turning back. I was searching for more, there was a wide open door, but now Lord knows I took a wrong turn I'm so afraid that it burns You've got my heart in your hand Won't you please set me free Look out there, the sky is clear Let's fly somewhere far from here Cause if we stay, we'll both get trapped And there's no turning back, there's no turning back No, look out there, the sky is blue I know you want out of here too And if we stay, we've gotta face the fact there's no turning back, there's no turning back, no. Tempted by the winds, following a breeze. In love I wanted to believe. Chasing the sun. Stay, we've got to face the fact 
turning back There's no turning back, no I was searching for more There was a wide open door But now there's nowhere to land That was Turning Back by Jennifer Marks. The next episode of Songwriter will feature a story from cellist Ben Soli and a song written in response by James Lindsay. My newest song is called When the Devil Knows Your Name, and it's out now on all the streaming services, along with my new EP, Collision. Collision features a bunch of songs that I wrote in response to stories from Songwriter, as well as performances by Tony Trishka, David Mayfield and Abby Rose of Cave Twins, and Byron Isaacs of The Lumineers. Songwriter is now a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, along with some other great podcasts. Make sure to check out americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast. And you can always get early access to the Songwriter Podcast at Paste. Just go to pastemagazine.com and search for Ben Arthur. And while you're there, check out the Paste Podcast or get it wherever you get yours. Finally, thanks so much to Rob Reinhardt and Acoustic Cafe. Acoustic Cafe.